Hello everybody and welcome to the You Thought Media Sportscast. Today it's just me Lucas here with you. If you noticed last week we're ch we changed up our schedule a little bit in which once a week we'll have our normal Wednesday show where it's all of us talking about the sports of the week. And at one other point in the week we'll be doing a solo show where it's one person talking about some topic that really interests them. So if you tuned in last week, you heard why it's a great show previewing week one of the NFL. And this week I'll be taking us to another type of football, soccer. As you may have learned on our last show, I'm a huge soccer fan. And this past weekend, the Bundesliga Germany Soccer League came back and I watched four of the games, as many as I could. And today I'm just going to take you through what happened in each of them some headlines from before the game and how they turned out during the game, what happened in the game itself, and then some of my takeaways. And we'll finish it off with a classic You Thought segment of bandwagons, talking about some bandwagons that I'll be jumping on and off after watching these first games of the Bundesliga return season, starting with their match day 26. They play 34 games this week. Most teams play their 26th. A couple are game behind because of various cup fixtures and things like that. But kicking it off, the first game this weekend uh, that I watched and which was played simultaneously with a bunch of other games was between Dortmund and Schalke. The River Derby, uh, as it's referred to, one of the biggest rivalries in all of German soccer, certainly the biggest rivalry for each of the teams. And coming in, uh, there was a lot of pressure on Dortmund, I think, to put um, some more pressure and push Bayern Munich, who sat at the top of the table. They were both playing pretty well before the break. Um, and to sort of push the title race forward, Dortmund needed to win this game to put um, added pressure on Bayern. And this was helped by the fact that right before the break, Erling Holland, the midseason transfer from Red Bull Salzburg to Dortmund, had been absolutely on fire, scoring nine goals in his first eight games with the club in the league and two goals in two Champions League games that he had played. Schalke, on the other hand, they're doing solid this year, playing fine, maybe a little disappointing mid-table after being a little bit higher than that the past few seasons, but David Wagner has come in after leaving Huddersfield and sort of maintained a culture of a solid, slightly above mid-table team. Um, a big storyline right before the game was that Gio Reyna, a 17-year-old American, would be taking the place of their star English winger, Jaden Sancho, in the lineup. But right before the game started, we were deprived of a great American playing in the game, something I love as an American seeing guys go and make it abroad in these great leagues on these great teams. Um, Gio Reyna was injured in pregame warm-ups, and Thorgan Hazard, the brother of current Real Madrid star Eden Hazard, uh, took over in the starting lineup in his place. There also was some fun uh, little things you can notice before the game that you probably wouldn't have noticed if there had been fans, and we'll talk more about how having no fans impacted the game later. But as they were all warming up, you could just hear nothing but the sound to jump by Van Halen playing over and over and over as they warmed up with no fan noise or anything, which I thought was a funny little note. But sort of getting into the game itself, Jared had mentioned this in our last episode, but I think it's really cool that I noticed from the start you could hear all the players and coaches just yelling. And it's in a cool inside look as to what happens on the pitch they don't see because it's usually, as I've talked about before, drowned out by fan noise. So it's a cool inside aspect to the game. There are certain downsides to not having fans, the obvious lack of energy, but in my bandwagon section, I'll be talking more about that. So in the beginning, it got off to a slow start. You could see the rust for both teams. There were some early mistakes that they both made. Dortmund almost kicked it behind the goal for a corner um, on defense, but you know nothing too much exciting happened in the first few minutes. 
Uh, Holland got a chance, Schalke got a chance, but uh, you could see they were still sort of shaking off the rust and getting back into form. There was an appeal for a handball 10 minutes in, some of the first major action on Schalke's John Joe Kenny, a guy who's on loan from Everton, trying to make his name as a lot of Englishmen have in the Bundesliga. Guys like Jaden Sancho for Dortmund, who again didn't play today um, in that game, but had um, sort of made a name for himself and is looking at big moves back to England now. The sort of biggest sort of thing that broke the game open, which would ultimately be a huge win for Dortmund, was in the 29th minute when Holland scored on a great cross from Hazard that was set up by an even better sort of flick behind him from Julian Brandt, who I thought was the best player of the day. And at the end of uh, each of these matches in the recap, I'm going to be awarding a man of the match. As a little bit of a preview, I think Julian Brandt definitely deserves man of the match here. Um, it's also nice that Holland scored a goal because in our last episode of the team show, I cashed uh, the take that uh, Erling Holland would end the season, or not end the season, but in this last leg of the season, had more goals than Robert Lewandowski of Bayern Munich, and he got off to a good start here. The Lewandowski, in his own game, sort of fought back um, and tied it up at 1-1 to since the break. Um, again, they uh, Dortmund scored before half. Um, Rafael Guerrero put one pass after a brilliant pass from Brandt, who was really just sort of pulling the strings. I had in my notes that Julian Brandt was the man of the match for the first half, and he just made it even better after that. There were two halftime changes for Schalke, but it didn't really do much of anything. First, Schalke got caught with the ball in their own uh, 18. The ball went out to Brandt, who passed to Holland, and who went on a breakaway. Um, Holland put it back to Brandt, who, who ultimately passed it to Hazard for a goal. Guerrero scored another brilliant goal in the 63rd minute, put Dortmund up 4-0, and they just sort of locked down from there and won the game. So overall, I thought it was an absolute masterclass from Dortmund. I wasn't really convinced maybe that they could catch Bayern before this game, but they showed that they can compete with the best of them. I think their youth is a huge factor here. Um, Holland is 19, I think. Hazard's young. Brandt's young. All these Guerrero's pretty young still. All these guys who are so instrumental to their team maybe weren't as impacted by the long layoff because they're still young and in shape and fit. It's the first time I've also ever seen Holland live. I've seen lots of video clips, but he's just as good as they say. His finishing is fantastic. He's so quick on the ball. And not only that, for a striker, he tracks back and plays really good defense. Uh, Guerrero, an incredible finisher as well. Um, you saw that with his last goal, which he just sort of curled around the keeper. I was also impressed by Hakimi, uh, the wing back, who went up and down the wing super fast all game for Dortmund. Um, put in a lot of good crosses. But... As I hinted at before, my man of the match was Julian Brandt, who just sort of controlled the whole game for Dortmund in the middle. He had two assists. He set up another assist. He had lots of fun, flashy moves, and he was just really impressive for me. So I think Dortmund impressed me the most of any team this weekend, and making a prediction going forward, I think in, when they play Bayern in two weeks, they're going to put up a really good fight, and I think they might even win and bring even closer to the top of the table because they currently, after this weekend's results... Um, sit only four points behind Bayern. This game put them only one point behind Bayern, who ended up winning their game against Union Berlin, but we'll talk about that later as well. As for Schalke, on the other hand, they didn't play terribly, um, but they also very clearly were a class below. I think, one, there was their finishing wasn't great, whereas Dortmund's finishing was absolutely clinical. And I think, not that they'll sort of slide into anywhere close to the relegation spot, but this wasn't a good sign 
from Wagner's team, and I think they might slip down towards from their sixth place spot coming into the end, into the game down towards more eighth or ninth by the time the season's over. But we'll see. They still have time to turn it around. Um, next, we're going to move into the second game that I watched. Again, I watched four of these games, read recaps of some others, but I don't want to give any analysis for games I didn't watch in depth. So the next game that I watched was Eintracht Frankfurt versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. So coming into the game, um, there were some pretty big stakes for Mönchengladbach. Uh, usually referred to as Gladbach, so that's what I'll do just to keep it simple because it is a long, long name to say every single time. So in the earlier games, playing at the same time as Dortmund and Schalke, um, the team who was in third place, RB Leipzig, as Jared would refer to them, a corporate hack of a team who are just basically controlled by the Red Bull brand. They had been sitting in third place, but they drew against Freiburg, which meant that if Mönchengladbach won, they would, they would jump over Leipzig into third place, further solidifying their spot in the Champions League and getting even closer in the in t incredibly tight uh, battle at the top for the Bundesliga. So, really big stakes for Mönchengladbach. Frankfurt, on the other hand, uh, they sat at 13th at the beginning of the match. They were coming off a pretty good year in which they were the 7th in the Bundesliga. They made it to the semifinals of the Europa League, which is really impressive. But they lost a lot of players, most notably Luka Jovic to Real Madrid and Sebastian Allaire to West Ham. Um, they're very clearly a shadow of the team they were last year, who I watched in some places in the Europa League. They just don't have that attacking prowess. But they haven't fallen so far that they're in a relegation spot. But I think there's some danger of that based on how they performed in that game. That being said, I know this is a very hot take, and Jared informed me of this as well, but I love Frankfurt's jerseys. I think the black with the red and white stripes just looks really, really cool. So this game was pretty much a blowout from the start for Gladbach. They jumped out to an early lead, 35 seconds in with Elsan Playa scoring. There was definitely some rust for Frankfurt. They didn't look like they were tracking the ball at all on defense, and they just looked tired and out of it and just like they weren't playing. And that reared its head again when Gladbach went up 2-0 uh, seven minutes in with a solid tip in from another Frenchman like Playa, Marcus Turam, who was the man of the match for me in this game. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So Frankfurt did respond a little bit right after. Uh, they had a couple corners that came to nothing. And after that, the game kind of settled in. Nothing too exciting happened from there. You could see them sort of go back and forth, um, each sort of taking momentum at various points. But nothing really which changed dramatically the momentum of the game. Turam almost um, saw a goal around 20 minutes. Uh, or Turam had a great pass and almost led to a goal about 20 minutes in. Um, Kostic for Frankfurt had a great free kick around 23 minutes. Um, but, you know, other than that, there wasn't too much that changed the game until halftime. So Andre Silva came on for Frankfurt at halftime, a lone move from AC Milan, who I think added some real energy up front for them. He didn't get a lot of credit from the announcers, but I saw him being pretty involved in the game, and it would sort of come to fruition later. Uh, Turam uh, went off in the 65th minute, and almost immediately after play, I scored a fantastic goal. Almost scored a fantastic goal, but it went right off the post. In the 72nd minute, Gladbach just put it away. And Bolo went down in the box for them, and they gave the penalty to the left back, Bensaini. Or, sorry, not familiar with all these names. Bensabaini, and he barely scored. It went off the underside of the keeper's arm, but it went into the net and went up 
and Gladbach went up 3-0 in that game. They did pull, or Frankfurt did pull a goal back towards the end with Andre Silva, who I had mentioned earlier, scoring at 3-1. Again, he wasn't getting a lot of um, sort of credit from the commentators, but I think that's because Gladbach had the ball a lot up in their half of the pitch. He couldn't do much, and when Frankfurt was able to attack, he seemed to get involved, putting in some good passes and culminating in that goal in the 81st minute. Um, in the 85th minute was the most impressive moment of the whole game, though. Gladbach had three guys past the keeper, and all of a sudden you see Martin Hintiger, a defender from Frankfurt, just hauling back to the goal line. And the, even though it's basically an empty net, he dives in there right at the last minute and stops the ball from going in, keeping it at 3-1 instead of 4-1 and making it an even more embarrassing defeat. That being said, I thought Gladbach was very good. They were very clearly the better team than Frankfurt, but I don't think they sent the world alight. This might be a consequence um, of going up so early. They were up 2-0 in the seventh minute, and then they could just sort of, excuse me, dial it back. But they didn't seem to have the attacking prowess of Dortmund. I know that's hard to do, but for a team that's barely behind them in the table, I expected a little more. So I think a solid performance. It took them into third over Leipzig, which... Again, I'm happy about we don't love those corporate takeover teams. And I think they'll solidify a, champion, they'll solidify a Champions League spot staying in third or fourth uh, going in for the rest of the year. But I don't see them really challenging for the title at this point. They didn't show me the promise that Dortmund did or the potential that I know Bayern has. Frankfurt, on the ha other hand, was clearly second best. But they were better at the end. They looked sort of rusty and out of sorts, especially in the opening, um, allowing those two goals in. But... I think as games go on, there's potential. I think giving Andre Silva more game time based, I know, just on this game, I haven't watched a lot of Frankfurt this season, but could really help them. Um, and overall, as I mentioned before, my man of the match was Marcus Turam. He was quick all over the pitch. He made great runs down the sideline. He was instrumental in a ton of buildups and goals. He didn't maybe have the flash of Playa, who had a bunch of shots, but I think he contributed more overall in his touches. And he was also subbed off in the 71st minute, so he didn't have as much time to make an impact. But for me... Marcus Turam, best player of the game. So that's it for Saturday's games. A lot of good stuff to consider. And with that, we move on to Sunday's game. First, the game between Mainz and Köln, which for me, absolute best game of the entire weekend. If you told me three or four months ago before everything happened with the coronavirus that the best part of my Sunday morning would be watching an 8.30 game between Mainz and Köln, I would have told you you were absolutely nuts. But this, at least so far in the day, been the best part. So, heading into the game, Köln had, during match week 14, so about uh, 12 weeks before this in terms of games, had been dead last in the Bundesliga table, hadn't put up much of a fight, looked destined for relegation, or at the very least, a relegation battle for the rest of the year. But they brought in a new coach, and they won 8 of 11 games, and now sit 10th in the Bundesliga, which is pretty great. Um, a win here would have brought them even closer to a Europa League spot, which would be a huge turnaround to go from last to playing in Europe. Mainz, on the other hand, sat in 15th place, just three points ahead of Dusseldorf um, in the relegation playoff spot, and a win would have done great things to help them stay in the Bundesliga this year. Um, Köln did one of the more fun things, though. The game was played in their stadium that I've seen from these empty stadiums. They put jerseys um, that fans had donated over a lot of the seats. There were fun stuffed animals with uh, Colm's uh, jerseys on them and other and uh, even a garden gnome I saw sitting in the seats to give it at least some appearance that of fan support there which was really really cool last headline that I think sort of adds another level to the game is that Mainz's, hand eh, Mainz's head coach Akim Bierlazer again sorry first time saying a lot of these names out loud so they might not turn out as good as you would imagine 
he started the year as Colton's coach, and he was fired when they had that last place start. Um, but he's taken over at Mainz and really sort of solidified them as not quite in the relegation spot and keeping them right above it. So this was by far first the scrappiest game. Um, there were a ton of fouls in the opening few minutes, culminating in the fourth minute when Musa Niakate from Mainz brought down uh, Mark Ut um, in the box, who plays uh, for, for for sorry for Koln. and Ut then converted the penalty, putting it just past the keeper at the right post. Uh, keeper almost got there, but not quite. And I'm going to talk more about Mainz's keeper later because he's maybe my favorite part of this whole weekend worth of games. So Mainz fought back in the next five minutes, putting some pressure on Colm's half, but there's a real lack of quality. I could see around the penalty area, a lot of balls that rolled harmlessly to Colm um, players before a golden opportunity for Butzius, um, whose shot was deflected just wide after great defense from Colm, and that led to a subsequent non-threatening corner. It was a really bad mistake um, on a quick free kick in the 18th minute uh, or from Mainz, which led to a golden opportunity for Cologne. But Niakate saved the day, sort of redeeming himself from the earlier penalty giveaway. Um, there were some more yellow cars, which built up there. Um, and a fun fact I learned, apparently, was that when asked what most of these guys were doing uh, during their quarantine before the game, they had to you know, stay separate from the rest of the world for the two weeks to make sure they weren't spreading the coronavirus. Apparently, a ton of them have been either one, playing FIFA, which makes sense, professional soccer players, and two, watching The Last Dance which just shows that it spreads worldwide. And I like that it's such like a collective, fun, unifying experience for sports fans, no matter my own personal opinions on Michael Jordan and whether he's a jerk, which I think he is. But we'll talk more about that in our Wednesday podcast. Actually, a lot of our Wednesday podcasts will be fo- uh, focused on that. But getting uh, back into the game, after this point, I think Mines kind of took control of the game and were arguably the better team. They kept getting corner after corner after corner. And we saw a lot of cool performances from Florian Muller, uh, the Mainz keeper who I had talked about before. I love the way he will just sprint out of his goal at any time to sort of clear the ball away. At one point, I think he made it past midfield to do it and to like sprint back to his goal. It was a risky strategy. It didn't sort of screw him over at any point during this game. But I like the boldness, the strategy to sort of try and help get his team back in the game and uh, mix stuff up. But... The first half ended one nothing, but getting into the second half, it looked uh, like that Colm was going to sort of run away with the game. Uh, second half sub, Dominic Draxler set up a beautiful full, uh, cross for Florian Kainz for Colm, who headed it right in, and it, they went up 2 nothing. They almost got a third in the 57th minute, but didn't quite. And in the 61st minute, Mainz sort of brought back that sign of life and dominance that, that they had had in the late first half and scored in the 61st minute uh, from Aliani, who is a Liverpool loney. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Liverpool fan, so seeing our players uh, succeed abroad is really cool. He's only 22, like I am, so he's got a lot more time to succeed. And it was cool to see, especially because, as the announcers had talked about, he had not had a really good loan spell with um, Mainz so far. Hadn't scored any goals, but he got this first goal. Really changed the momentum of the game, which Mainz took over for a lot of the remaining spells of the game and really helped them. Uh, Kainz was taken off um, in the 71st minute for Koln. Um, he had been really involved in the game, scored a goal, and had been involved in five to six shots. 
and this sort of really changed the complexion of the game again, in which Mines was able to uh, sort of take control even more. And a fantastic run from Kunde of Mines uh, led to a goal. There did look to be some suspect defense from Kulm, but they were able to, Kunde was able to get through, score a goal, tied up 2 2. In the last 20 minutes, the game was wild. Lots of players from both teams being thrown forward, but a couple goal line scraps. But in the end, neither team was able to score again, and the game ended 2-2. So, like I said before, this was by far my favorite match of the weekend. It was so exciting. Both teams were in for most of the game. Neither were firing on all cylinders, but there were moments of brilliance from each. I think this game spells really good things for Mainz especially. They kept pace with them, or maybe even better than Colin for most of the game. I thought they dominated large parts of the first half. They generated a lot of chances. And if they keep up this run of play, I think they'll end up staying up easily. I really love the way they play. It's aggressive. You know, they make mistakes and everything. But they solidify themselves as one of my favorite teams uh, that I watched this weekend. For Colm, it's about where you'd expect. They look like a solid and solidly mid-table team. Uth is a highlight of the game. And it was a great mid-season acquisition from them getting loaned from Schalke. And I expect them to finish around where they are now. Probably somewhere between 8th and 12th. Probably they're not as good. They're, they're, I don't think they're, they're as bad as their early season form showed when they sat in last place. But I don't think they're also as good as their 8 wins and 11 run that they had leading up to the coronavirus break. For the man of the match, I'm going to give it to Uth because he won the penalty for uh, Cole and he scored the goal. He was instrumental a lot on offense. But I'd like to give a shout out to both keepers. Um, as well, I thought they played really great games, and most of the goals were sort of unavoidable and more chalked up to defensive mistakes than to goalkeeping mistakes. And that leads us into the last game that I watched this weekend, Union Berlin versus Bayern Munich. And if you know anything about German soccer, uh, you know Bayern Munich is the absolute kings. They've won the, the title every year since 2012-2013, I think. Um, but they've been under pressure from Dortmund, who sat only one point behind them yesterday after one against Schalke. Bayern did get off to a slow start this season, but after Niko Kovac was fired only a few months after winning the title, Hans-Dieter Flick has the game back on track. They're back in first place. It looks like they'll win another consecutive title. Um, but that being said, Union Berlin are so much fun. Um, they're in the Bundesliga for the first time ever in their history. And they were picked by a lot of people to go down at the beginning of the season. But they've been really good this season. They sit mid-table decently far above the relegation zone. Plus, they're a fun working-class club with a rebellious and sort of punk rock uh, history and time, which I think is really cool as well among their fans. So they're a team that really appeals to me. I'm really rooting for them. We love a good underdog story. The game itself was one of the more lackadaisical games. Um, Lewandowski had an early chance for Bayern. Union had a couple... Uh, chances as well in the beginning uh, bits of the game. About five minutes in, Marius Butler, Tessa Neuer, but Union pushed a little. It was a little. It was impressive to see in the first 10 or so minutes, but after that, Bayern just sort of took control and dominated possession. Not to say that they weren't necessarily playing better. It sort of seemed to be Union's game plan to sort of sit back and um, wait for Bayern to attack and sort of absorb that pressure and play solid defense and prevent Bayern from scoring. And that strategy worked really, really well throughout the game. Um, sort of Bayern's front four of Lewandowski, Serge Gnabry, uh, Leon Goretzka, and Thomas Muller played well in sort of getting the ball up the pitch, but they never really had the finishing there. 
Another guy who stood out for me for Bayern was Alfonso Davies, who's a wingback for Bayern, who's a homegrown Canadian player for the Vancouver Whitecaps, one of the youngest players to ever play in the MLS. And unlike other guys like that, like Freddie do in the past, he's really made a name for himself abroad, playing for big teams like Bayern now, getting into the starting lineup. And I love it when the MLS sort of can generate talent uh, that it can send abroad to these big, great teams. Uh, but not much happened uh, until about the 40th minute. Um, again, it was sort of Bayern having possession, but not really doing anything with it. Union playing great defense to stop it. Um, but in the 39th minute, Subotic had a sort of dumb wild kick in the box and ended up taking out Goretzka in the 39th minute for a penalty, which Lewandowski converted easily. Um, and that sort of, you know, I'm sure he's a great player, but Barton, I have our bet going of who will have more goals in this last half of the season. Uh, will it be Erling Holland from Dortmund or Lewandowski from Munich? And I chose Holland. Bart chose Lewandowski. Now they're tied at one after the first game. So it'll be close. Stay tuned as we go into the rest of the season. At the very end of the half, uh, Benjamin Pavard almost scored, uh, recreating his iconic goal that he had versus Argentina in the 2018 World Cup, where he and France won the tournament, but it didn't quite go in a little wide of the post. It sort of was more of the same in the second half. It got a little scrappier, some more fouls, but it was a pretty underwhelming second half. Again, more of the same of Bayern pushing, but not really being able to do anything with it. Union playing good, solid defense, but not able to get anything offensively going. The only real highlight of the second half was a goal from Bayern by Pavard off a corner. He headed it in, and Pavard was someone who was really impressive for me as well today. Not only did he score the goal, but he was constantly working up and down the wings for Bayern, was really solid in defense when they were challenged, um, when Bayern was challenged by Union. So the game ended like that, 2-0. My overall takeaways are that Bayern played kind of meh. I'm not convinced they'll be able to beat Dortmund in a few weeks, and I'll talk about more of that in my bandwagon section. They looked lackadaisical. They only scored on a penalty in corner, so no goals from open play. And the defense from Union kept them really in check. And I think this will prevent problems because if you have a team that can balance good defense with good offense, um, that I think they could be, again, really challenged. Because while Union played great on defense, they had no real offense to speak of. So if you go up against a Dortmund or a Gladbach or a Leipzig, um, I think you could see real problems for Bayern. Union's defense played great. And I'm convinced now that they will stay up. And you can book it, add it to the book at Google Doc, where we'll all look like idiots looking back on it later. And my man of the match for this match was Benjamin Pavard. I think he played really well on defense, like I mentioned before. Great going forward, getting up and down the wings, putting in crosses, and he kept it all off with a goal in the 80th minute. So those are the four games I watched this weekend. It was a great return to live sports. Saw a lot of really good stuff. And we're going to finish it off with just some general overall bandwagons about how I feel about the weekend. For those of you who are consistent listeners to the show, You'll know that we do this thing called bandwagons where we pick some either teams or players or ideas or concepts or whatever and jump either on and off those bandwagons. So I have four bandwagons today. The first is a bandwagon I'm jumping off, and that's the Colon rebound. A lot of people seem to be really high on Colon coming in uh, to the coronavirus break. They won 8 out of 11 and they looked good, but I think it might just be a quick turnaround revert to form that they maybe weren't as bad as we saw before. And I don't think they're as good as winning 8-11. and 11. I think they'll, again, finish lower end of mid-table. They looked fine, but they really couldn't put up much of a fight against Mainz. So I don't think they'll continue that form they had before the break into the last uh, eight or so games of the season. 
So I'm hopping off the Colin Rebound bandwagon. A bandwagon I'm on the fence about, though, is games without fans. And I want to first make it clear that I love that live sports are back. I don't want them to end it all as long as it is safe to stay and play. But there are some pros and cons with having games without fans. Pros, one thing I think is fun is the celebrations. Um, a lot of new fun opportunities for celebrations that you wouldn't have before. I think Holland's dance after he scored was fun. The sort of like elbow hits after celebrating. It's cool to see them adapt to everything going on with the coronavirus and celebrate. Another pro is, uh, another pro is that you get to hear the game. And I mentioned this before. Um, but I think it's really cool um, seeing, hearing players, you know, communicate on the field, talk to each other, hearing coaches yelling instructions from the sidelines. And I'm sure if I understand German too, I'd hear a lot of curses at the referees, but sadly I do not. So I'll have to hire out some German person to translate for me uh, for that. And again, like I said before, I'm so happy to have sports in general. I wouldn't want it any other way, but there are some cons still to the games without fans. I think it does lose some of its energy. Um, you don't have like the excitement or the groans when something good or bad happens. And it feels just sort of like a practice game in many ways. It feels less intense, like the stakes are less high, someone scores, and there's no grand cheers or anything like that. But that being said, um, I still am in favor of this, but I'm just on the fence as to whether it's, you know, as good or enjoyable an experience as it would be with fans. There are two bandwagons that I'm on. The first is I think Dortmund is going to win the title, taking a take from that Aiden had at the end of last episode. I think Dortmund is going to win the title because, at least in their first games, they look a lot better in shape than Bayern did. I think their offense um, looked absolutely on fire, whereas Bayern's looked lackadaisical. And I think that they're younger and more fit and were better able to adapt to and deal with this break than Bayern was. So for all those reasons, I think that they'll just edge out Bayern for the title this year. That game in two weeks where they play each other is going to be absolutely crucial. But coming into this break, I thought Bayern will hold on. They have all the experience. Um, but now, not so sure. I think I'm on the Dortmund winning the title bandwagon. And the last bandwagon I'm on is the three fandoms I'm adopting for the rest of this Bundesliga season. I don't know how long it'll be till the rest of sports come back, but I need something to be passionate and care about. And while I'm usually a Premier League fan and a Liverpool fan, I think the Bundesliga is a great opportunity to explore some new teams, um, pick some rooting interests, and just enjoy sports as you would otherwise. So the three teams whose bandwagons I'm hopping on, and this should come as no surprise if you've been listening, are first Borussia Dortmund. Um, I think the way they play is so fun. They're young, they're exciting, they're flashy with guys like Brandt and Holland and Jadon Sancho, who didn't even play in their game, and they were able to dominate. Um, they sing the same song as Liverpool does before all their games. You'll never walk alone. Liverpool's manager, Jurgen Klopp, uh, used to manage at Borussia Dortmund. So I think there are just a lot of connections there. Plus, they just play the game with so much fun and so much freedom. And I, I just really enjoy watching them play. The second uh, team bandwagon I'm jumping on is Union Berlin. As I talked about before, they're such a fun underdog story with nobody expecting them to do as well as they've done this year. I think they've got that fun sort of um attitude of like hey if no one expected us to be here like let's just play our hearts out they play really direct and forward and fun and it's just great to watch plus they've got that uh sort of working class attitude that i like in liverpool combined with the sort of rebellious punk rockness um that came from them being sort of a club of dissent um against the east germans um back during the cold war and finally i'm jumping on the Mainz fandom bandwagon because i gotta have one from the top so Borussia Dortmund, one from the middle in Union Berlin, and one from the bottom in Mainz. I think Mainz is, again, a fun underdog story. 
Uh, they again have connections to with Liverpool. That's where Jurgen Klopp played, and they have a Gegen press um, or the counter press that he would be proud of. I think they too play the game fun. They were sort of shaking off some rust, but I like a lot of their players. They've got the lone connections to Liverpool, and I'm rooting for them to survive relegation. So with that, we're going to wrap up our Bundesliga talk, or I guess I'm going to wrap up my Bundesliga talk since it's just me today. Uh, be sure to listen to our next episode on Wednesday. Listen to Wyatt's last solo episode from Monday. And be sure to like and rate and share our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, also, be sure to turn into future Bundesliga matches. And I want to thank you for just allowing me to talk about soccer and sports I love so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And last off, remember, you're going to be rooting for Mainz, Union Berlin, and most importantly, Borussia Dortmund. So thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week.